Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong. Radiant. Timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's hear it for our own Eugene V. Debs, the one and only yeah. super producer, Mr. Max Williams. What? Let's have a dab for our own Debs, mm-hmm. Max Williams. Everybody do a dab what? right now. We're dab. doing it together. We're doing Everybody it. dab. Hope you're doing it too while you're listening, folks. Uh, <laughs> and if your friends ask you, tell them about the show. They call me Ben. We're joined as always with my ride or die, uh, Mr. Noel Brown, none other. Hello. Sorry <laughs> for the lag in responding to your amazing big up of myself, Mr. Noel Brown, the, the one and only. I guess mm-hmm. that's true. You know what's funny though, Ben? Um, I've I've grown up with a name like Noel, and sure. you don't get a lot of Noels in America. But the only ones that I know of are from the UK, and they're relatively famous. There's Noel uh, Fielding from uh, the Mighty Ooh, Boosh and uh, Great British Bake Off fame. You got your Noel Gallagher. You got your Noel Coward. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are some other famous? Anybody know any other famous Noels? There's the the first Noel, of course, Jesus Christ Himself. <laughs> There's also. Good friend of good friend of mine. I think good friend of yours as well. Uh, Noel, uh, who is uh, Noel Flores, who is uh, one of the marketing demigods and event coordinators here at iHeartMedia. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, she's yeah. awesome. Excellent taste in leather jackets. Uh, oh my god, are you I, kidding? I are you kidding, Max? This is the person who will lead us to the correct leather jackets. I've been so uh, weirded out for for many years. Our good friend, Mr. Matt Frederick of Stuff They Don't Want You to Know and numerous true crime podcasts has had this amazing leather jacket. I've asked him, you know, like, how do I how do I commit to this? How do I get a good leather jacket? And one time Matt told me something like, well, you see it, you try it on. And when you know, you know. You I'm just, too, yeah. Yeah. 
Some things run small, some things run large. It's all about what fits you. And I really do envy the bigwigs, the the types that Eugene Debs might have been fighting against that get tailored suits. Although in this day and age, uh, most anybody can afford a tailored suit. You can get, well, what is that uh, that tailored suit company that we used to do? Um, suit supply? Like, yeah, well, there's suit supply. And it still ain't cheap. Yeah, exactly. That's the one. It still ain't cheap, but it really, man, the difference between like a, a suit off the rack that fits. I sound like I'm shilling for suit <laughs> makers, but the difference is uh, is is night and day. Now, I got a uh, black window pane suit uh, earlier this year tailored. And it was like 300 something bucks. It wasn't bad at all. And it fits great. It looks great. It looks great. It fits great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is the time where we want to thank everybody who didn't write a review immediately saying, ah, oh, these guys. These guys with their banter, we hope uh, we hope that you enjoy it. We love, of course, your opinions, ridiculous historians, on everything addressed in the show, whether or not it is, you know, whoosh, whoosh, officially part of the episode. But uh, we have been we've been through a heck of a week. We've got a uh, we've got a book coming out or out now uh, called "Stuff They Don't Want You to Know" for another podcast. Noel and I do, and that book has been met with pretty great reviews. So if you want to mm. review something, uh, please do go review that on Amazon. There's other big news before we get to Debs. Oh my oh, gosh. Can I say one yeah, thing yeah, really yeah, quickly yeah, about yeah. the book? Um, my aunt, or I guess my aunt-in-law, I don't know, she's my uncle's ex-wife. What does that make her? No idea. Uh, was a librarian, is a retired librarian, and commented on a post that I made about the book and had seen the reviews in Kirkus Review and I think book, re- there's another one, there was a second one, and said that like those are the go-to review sites for librarians choosing things to buy for libraries or to include in libraries. That's so crazy. that's pretty great, man. Mm-hmm. Good job, Ben. I mean, we we did it well, together I mean, to a degree, did. but man, Look it's that. in your voice. You knocked it out of the park. It's just such a fun read, and I'm just so proud of you, man. Oh, uh, man, I'm proud. I'm proud of all of us. You know, uh, also it's so weird you mentioned this, Noel. My I have an aunt. I have many teachers and educators in my family, and one of my aunts who lives out in Austin, Texas, is a librarian and said something similar. So at least we're at least we're going with the crowd of the people we really want to impress the literati the literati yes just so and this is the second part of a two-part episode on a guy that may not be familiar to a lot of americans today but a person who has certainly affected your life if you live in the u.s and you're hearing this now his name eugene v debs debs to his friends uh, his street name, Max's daddy, because in addition to being our super what? producer, yeah, it's at the top. Max, uh, Max uh, took point on this re- on the research for this. Uh, so, Max, we're going to defer to you along the way. But I wanted to, I, I think, just in the interest of transparency, we need to hit that. You describe Eugene Debs in the title of our research here as Max's daddy, as your spiritual father. What's going on? I really like Eugene V. Debs. I learned about him, uh, I think, I took an AP U.S. history class in high school, and that's, like, the first time I learned about him. He's not really someone gets taught to you in, like, you know, your traditional oh my you God. Know, public education uh-huh. classes. But AP, it, huh? Yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, that, that I mean, that's the class where you really get to dive into it. And it's like, wow, this guy's kind of important. Uh, so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, learning about, like, how this guy is really influential on all of our lives, especially for stuff like 
Social Security and the right to unionize and stuff like that. I've always just been a big fan of this guy. And can I just add, too, that, Max, you have been part of the uh, effort of iHeart producers, employees in the podcast network to do that very thing. And I can't imagine that you would have uh, been as interested in that or, you know, schooled if you hadn't discovered Eugene Debs early in your, you know, uh, career. Yeah, no, it's definitely been a part. I mean, I've, uh, I I will say like, you know, I was raised, I I think first generation white collar is probably the best way to describe it. Both my parents have white collar jobs, but they were raised in a very blue collar, like Detroit area. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I mean, many, many people from union jobs and stuff like that. And that's how like, Towns like, not towns, cities like that were able to, you know, people have these livelihoods so they can have families and not be like, you know, so tight on money all the time because mm-hmm. they were able to get, you know, fair and equal pay and wages and stuff. So it's, it, it's stuff that I very much believe in and everything like that. Well, it's because- no accident or maybe somewhat of an accident that we also just recently did an episode on the Luddites mm-hmm. and the, you know, uh, fabric or textile workers early in that industry. There were certain skilled workers who could kind of name their name their price and 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 uh, could really command a lot of um, you know perks and things like that. And then as industrialization took hold, that became less of a thing. And I think the reason unions are important is to kind of re-level the playing field and and make sure that those in power and those that kind of have their hands on the purse strings and all of that aren't able to just you know completely uh, diminish the idea of of a fair wage and uh, and treat people just like human capital. And that's a struggle that continues. You know, uh, here in 2022, if you live in the United States, fellow ridiculous historians, you have to be aware this is an apolitical point that most other nations. This is a true story. Most other nations have a much better maternity leave or paternity leave, things like that. The uh, Again, the struggle continues. And wherever you find yourself on the political platform, I'm going to go ahead and take a wild guess. Don't kill me in the, in the reviews here. I would take a wild guess. You like things like weekends uh, and you, you like things like uh, fair pay. So this is something that happens that that happens with Debs. When we left Debs in part one on Thursday of our show, we had we had left him right around the time that he was learning, some would say being radicalized, huh? in jail while incarcerated. At this time still, he said that he was still thinking of himself maybe more as an Americanist rather than a socialist. But here's where we find him now. It is 1896, and he is endorsing a U.S. presidential candidate named William Jennings Brian. And Brian is doing something really interesting in his campaign. He's running on multiple tickets. Yes, he's running on the Democratic ticket. He's also running on the ticket of something called the People's Party. Spoiler alert for any uh, (laughs) non-presidential campaign buffs. Brian doesn't win. He loses to a guy called William McKinley, And William McKinley is funded by some of the very same business entities that sought to break Deb's uh, union movements with railroad workers. That's right. And um, if I'm not mistaken, Max, 
this whole thread in the story is maybe what led this to being considered ridiculous because of the some of the situations that uh, that Debs found himself in while also running a presidential campaign. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's uh, some of the um, these guys, you know, who are supporting the people like McKinley don't exactly like things that Debs is doing and saying. And some, most, actually, basically all of which are not bad in my opinion, but it's kind of, I would say the ridiculousness of this story is the amount that Debs wants to help people, no matter how much consequences he faces for it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's well said. You know, this, there's a thing that people started saying that was circulating in the zeitgeist of the time. And folks would say, well, President McKinley was elected by money and Brian was the people's candidate. William Jennings Bryan, by the way, is worth an episode all his own. I think we can agree. Here's what happens. This is enough to really sour Debs. Uh, our boy Gene sees what he, um, what from his perspective is systemic, dangerous corruption. The system is rotting from within, like a like a wound that uh, creates gangrene. And so he says, this two party system, this Democrat Republican thing, it's kind of a con job. You know what I mean? It's sort of a trap. It's a false dichotomy. And to this end. He proclaims himself publicly as a socialist in one of several railway magazines, periodicals he writes for. It's uh, January 1st, New Year's Day, 1897. He comes out and he says, the result of the November election has convinced every intelligent wage worker that in politics, per se, there is no hope of emancipation from the degrading curse of wage slavery. I am for socialism because I am for humanity. And this is a quote we mentioned in uh, part one. He goes on, money constitutes no proper basis for civilization. Arguably true. You don't have to agree, but he makes some good points, huh? He definitely does. And that June at the uh, yearly meeting of the American Railway Union, Debs made a big splash by founding the Social Democracy of America Party. And as parties sometimes do, whether it's political or just, you know, a get-together. Things, people break away. They go their own way. They're, they're little cliques that form. And so the uh, Social Democracy of America Party splintered, and Victor Berger um, and Debs joined what ultimately became the Social Democratic Party. Hmm. And then there's another uh, evolution, right? In 1901, this outfit become, starts calling itself the Socialist Party of America, and Debs has uh, Debs has some rousing quotes. Again, he's a great orator, right? He's a he's a polemical writer. He's a fantastic speaker. He's one of those guys who starts shouting and his forehead and his temples get the veins popping out. And you know, he's as we would say in the American South, he takes people to church when he speaks. And uh, he really does. Uh, And we've got this, we've got this other quote here. Uh, He, he equates socialism. One of the prime things that he sees as a tenet of socialism is public ownership over what are called the means of 
production. Uh, Noel, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I do want us to trade off really cool, like lambasting, uh, galvanizing quotes from our boy Gene. So how, what, could you do uh, We the People a favor and uh, maybe give us give us an approach of, of this quotation from his uh, speech to minors in Illinois and Kansas in 1899? Arouse from your slavery, join the Social Democratic Party and vote with us to take possession of the minds of the country and operate them in the interest of the people. That's me clapping. Oh, Max Thank is clapping you. too. Oh, yeah. Uh, Multiply that though by like the voice of the people, you know, mm-hmm. and then you have a truly rousing round of applause. And envision a lot of veins popping out while he's saying it. Oh, so many. A lot of veins. So many. Uh, Also, people are loving these sorts of speeches. Uh, He he is so supported in these crowds that you could imagine people weren't just clapping, but while they were clapping, they were probably just yelling the word clap. They were like, clap, 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 clap. Clippity, clappity, clap, clap. (laughs) Just so. Maybe with some coconuts. Yeah, there we go. So his... um, his socialism. Remember, now he's gone from what he described as Americanism, making a very good point about America, uh, the United States itself, rather, being a consequence of going on strike, right? When you think about it, he went from Americanism to now socialism, but his critics said this was too idealistic. They said, you know, what you should be calling it is impossibilism, which is a funny word. Uh, And he said, uh, they were saying, look, that what you are doing will, what you're proposing is never going to work. It doesn't have much to do with actual Marxism or communism. It's more like this weird utopian Walt Whitman-esque religious approach to which he responded, what is socialism? Merely Christianity in action. It recognizes the equality in men, which is pretty dope. That's pretty cool repost, a pretty cool response. Um, But again, of course, not everyone agreed with him, especially if they had a lot of money and were sort of vibing with the status quo. Well, we're in a political cycle right now. We were just talking about this, the three of us off mic, and uh, I think we've all been subject to a lot of very alarmist um, uh, political advertisements on like Hulu and various streaming services. And I bet you that at the time there might have been some who might have called Debs radical liberal Eugene Debs Mm -hmm. wants to take away your jobs because he's asking for these unreasonable requests, these unreasonable terms, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's sort of like, like shifting the narrative saying, you know, okay, I am the, you know, big wig that owns the means of production. And it's just not realistic for the the working people to have this kind of protection. And it's almost saying demonizing someone like Debs for even asking for such. So it's a way of like flipping the narrative and saying like, we're the ones giving you jobs. Do you really want to piss us off? Like, I mean, without say, saying that exactly, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like, hey, it'd be a shame if something happened to the uh, existence you currently have. Uh, so, so he starts running for president himself. He's gone beyond polling for other people and hyping them up, right? It's like he has started his own political solo album. 
And spoiler, he doesn't do super well, but he does get some, he does garner some attention. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In 1900, he runs for president. And when he runs for president, Gene gets about 96,000 votes just for um a sense of perspective, according to the census conducted the same year in 1900, the population of the U.S. was 76.3 million. So he's not, you know, he's not exactly busting down the door. Uh, then, okay, so he loses that election. Fast forward four years, he runs again. You know, he's kind of getting one of those uh, I can do this all day sort of uh, tropes attached to him. This time he gets 400,000 votes. So that's a heck of a jump, but it's still not enough to swing the needle. I love the idea of swinging the needle um, and moving the pendulum. I think it's great. I think oh, that's works. right. No, you got me. No, fair play. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he also joined in with other union uh, folks who might have been considered radical or militant at the time to create something and organize something called the Industrial Workers of the World or the IWW. Again, um, AFL-CIO 
is an excellent um, resource for this information, in addition to being an excellent organization uh, that, that protects a lot of these very things that we're talking about. Um, I love this. Uh, the wobblies <laughs> was the, uh, a term used to refer to the industrial workers of the world because they called on all workers to join a massive single union like that would kind of be this like overarching umbrella and seize control of those means of production. And, and if anyone follows any communist or socialist kind of meme pages, the idea of seizing the means of production mm-hmm. is sort of a through point in, in a lot of those. It can't actually be used sort of hilariously in a lot of these memes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, this is uh, also, first off, there's a lot to be said about nomenclature and branding. Even even back then, it was it was very much the same. For some reason, it seems weird, right, when they uh, to hear this group that wants to be a very much a power to the people movement say, you know what's dependable? You know what will make people associate us with steadfastness and doggedness and being on the course? Let's just establish that we're wobbly. Let's let people know that we're sort of on a on a teetering thing. Uh, that's just my, you know, that's just my branding marketing note there. But this was huge. And as you can imagine, it terrified the people in power, right? The international set, uh, the um, banking interest, of course, mining interest, uh, resource extractors. They couldn't let this happen. And Debs, Debs was a guy who was, you know, a real barnstormer of a speaker, but maybe not always the most uh, diplomatic or collaborative person. He could be quite argumentative. He resigned from the Wobblies in 1908 and ran for for U.S. president a third time, but he plateaus a little. Not in a bad way. He's just, 1904, he gets 400,000 votes. 1908, he's still, again, not uh, swinging the needle or moving the pendulum. Uh, and later elections are occurring. He still hasn't given up. 1910, 1912, right? There are congressional elections, and a lot of Socialist Party members are actually victorious in their state and local elections. And this inspires Debs. You know, he's always thinking, it's bigger than me. He's saying, this is our year in 1912. And in 1912, He's not just blowing smoke. Almost a million Americans voted for him for president. Uh, And just for reference there, in 1912, the U.S. population had grown pretty significantly to 95 million people. So still not a huge percentage. Yeah, and to jump in there to kind of put this in framing it to like how he wasn't that far out in this one, obviously. He only got got 6% of the vote, which is, Significant, obviously, nowhere close to winning. Mm-hmm. This was also a really weird election where there was basically three major party candidates. There was William Howard Taft, Theodore Roosevelt, who decided to come out of retirement and run against Taft, and then our all-time favorite president on this podcast, Mr. Woodrow Wilson, Boo. who's going to come up home. a little bit more. Boyhood oh. home. Our boy, Hood Home, uh, is in my hometown. I think I maybe mentioned that last episode. But not a great guy, right? What's the no. deal? He seems so innocuous and, and little and slight and bald. But uh, can you explain, Max uh, and or Ben, why this guy kind of sucked? We can absolutely explain why he sucks. 
I would suggest reading um, articles like talkingpointsmemo.com, Woodrow Wilson was even worse than you think, or nationalinterest.org, why Woodrow Wilson is America's worst president ever. Now, that's a hot take because there's a contest that's been going on for many, many years to figure out who was, in fact, the worst president ever. Uh, no, we'll do you one better than this one, uh, man. At the very end of today's show, uh, Max has prepared a, uh, a special segment, a hit list of bad things about Woodrow Wilson. So if you, uh, if you feel like we're talking too much about the nuts and bolts of Eugene V. Debs, hold on. There is quite a spiteful dessert at the end. And Ooh, it is spiteful dessert. Is it best served cold? Of course it is. Yes. Yeah. And oh, maybe it was. <laughs> and so uh, with Debs, uh, he, with Debs, we see exactly what you described, Max. It's the presidential campaign is kind of a bowl of spaghetti, right? We're, we're looking at high human drama here. There's something else interesting that occurs. The Democratic and Republican parties are starting to crib some notes and policies from socialists. So we see them embracing what were considered progressive reforms at this time, giving women the vote, busting up huge trust. That's where, you know, like one company, one entity functionally owns all of an industry. Doing economic reforms, saying stuff like people can only work up to a certain amount per week or per month, people can only get paid to a certain low threshold, minimum wage, we call it now. And, and these were novel ideas at the time, right? Like, I mean, because a lot of these things were kind of new-ish. I mean, the trusts and the, the giants' conglomos really began with things like the railroad, which uh, Eugene Debs had been in on since the start, at least in terms of, you know, uh, arguing for fair treatment of workers. But the, this was not something that had been just like, you know, decades uh, in the making. Right. Yeah, this is this is a signal from the mainstream and their industrial puppet masters that they need to give a little to get what they want, to maintain their economic power and status quo and social hierarchies. So they also say, no more child labor. And hey, maybe you should be able to directly vote for your senator instead of just trusting us. Uh, uh, there's a guy against that right now. There's a guy running to get rid of that one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm aware. You know what I mean? It's it's always <laughs> Halloween in America, man. So the, uh, Yeah, because yeah. people wear masks year-round, I guess. Is that what you're getting at? That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, and it's spooky. You know, you could you could say there's a bit of a haunted house. Uh, and that is an apolitical point. America is always, the United States, rather, has always been a grand experiment, one long improv game. Uh, so Debs is saying, Debs is championing socialism. 1912 is what um, that New Yorker article we, we mentioned earlier uh, by Jill Lepore. 1912 is what you could call the high watermark of socialism in the United States. And it had done something very important that doesn't often get talked about. While there was not a socialist president elected, it changed the trajectory of the two major parties. The folks who already held the power started to make some concessions 
to, you know, for what they saw as the greater good, which was them retaining some measure of power. Debs gets sick. He's not feeling great. He is actually too ill to run a national campaign in 1916. Because, you know, right, when we think about it, and all these, these guys who are running for any political office on a federal or, or national level, they have to travel a lot. They can't go on Zoom. Sure. Can, can I ask one more question? Um, at this time, the, the idea of socialism didn't have as much political kind of uh, buzziness that it does today because we weren't necessarily fighting with the Soviet Union like we are. You know, th- that legacy was not as ensconced, as established. Mm. So it wasn't like when someone established a socialist party or said, I believe in the teachings of, of Marx and Engels or whatever. They weren't immediately demonized the way they might be today because of our, you know, uh, our beef with Russia and the Soviet Union. So... Not yet. And what's crazy is we are literally getting on the timeline to that point right, right. now. Oh, yes. Because the Bolshevik Re- Revolution is 1917. So we mm-hmm. are one year away from really, like, you know, you see this major world power get their entire government overthrown and by behind socialist and communist ideas and stuff like that. And that's when, you know, we start getting, like, the first, like, Red Scare and mm-hmm. stuff like that is about to come up in this time period. And then later, of course, this will we'll see this reflected in uh, McCarthyism, right? So history right. is a happened lot quickly, of, right? right? Like, I mean, the, this whole demonization happened quickly. The Red Scare was something that uh, escalated very quickly and became this kind of witch hunt within our country. Yeah, yeah. And this, there are multiple Red Scares throughout the history of the United States, as well as Europe. And... Uh, to Max's astute point, there may well be another one on the way. Why? Why were people uh, scared of this? Well, Debs thinks they're scared of it because uh, there are people who are totally fine morally and ethically with damning the majority of a population into something very much like servitude because it will make their individual lives a little bit nicer. Since he can't uh, traipse around the country running for president, he runs for Congress in his home district, a lot less travel. Uh, he comes in second. He doesn't win. Um, he is not. He doesn't become a congressperson, and he's also a very distant second. The uh, The person who ends up beating him is a Republican, and they get way, 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 way more votes. Other socialist candidates are encountering something very similar in their neck of the woods, and it looks like his big dream of creating a union for all railroad workers and then expanding to a union of the people, of every worker, it looks like it's not going to happen. Okay, so now we're back to Woodrow Wilson and why he sucks. Uh, <laughs> in, in 1917, uh, President Woodrow Wilson, who was really only president because Teddy Roosevelt um, decided to come out of retirement and essentially, you know, wave around his big stick and speak very loudly, actually, uh, and essentially sabotage the 1912 election, uh, Wilson asked Congress to declare war on Imperial Germany and everything that went along with that, all of its allies. 
Um, this was in response to what the AFL-CIO refers to as vituperative opposition. Mm-hmm. I need a little help with that one, fellas. <laughs> yeah. Vituperative opposition means blameworthy, basically. Uh, that they, like Congress in this sense, is being uh, being blamed or attacked for their plan and uh, they're being rightfully attacked because the U.S. is supposed to be a representative democracy, which means that in theory, the U.S. goes to war when the domestic population supports it. But because Congress is kind of getting caught with their hands in the uh, military-industrial complex cookie jar of the day, they passed something called the Espionage Act. The Espionage Act says it is against the law to have a problem with the U.S. getting involved in this conflict that we now know as World War I. So for any fans of free speech, you can imagine this is a, a heck of a, this is a tall milkshake. Now it's illegal <laughs> to have a problem even, even though you live in a country that uh, talks a big game about freedom. And Debs was anti-war because, I mean, why wouldn't you be? And, I mean, you know, we know that certain industries love war and then love politicians who are hawkish or whatever. But Debs, as someone who wanted to protect, you know, the working people, was anti-war. He says, quote, I am opposed to every war but one. I am for that war with heart and soul, and that is the worldwide war of the social revolution. And that war, I am prepared to fight in any way the ruling class may make necessary, even to the barricades at dawn. I added at dawn, but, you know, I mean, seriously, like this guy's got a revolutionary soul, but he doesn't want to kill anybody. He doesn't want to hurt anybody. He's all about a war of ideas. And and uh, and this is really kind of the beginning of regular people being able to kind of, you know, coalesce around someone like him, like Debs, and seemingly be heard mm -hmm. or at the very least, you know, have some concessions made in their favor. Yeah. And this is the era of Joe Hill, not the uh, tremendously accomplished fiction writer. He's a son, son of Stephen King, great writer, big fan. Uh, but Joe Hill, the activist and musician who is uniting people in a grassroots movement. I also want to point out uh, vituperative doesn't just indicate that Congress got caught. It also indicates that people are talking so much trash about them. This right. is verbal abuse, right? And it's way different than the political discourse you might hear today. Even, how, you know, how ugly it gets in the U.S. and abroad today. Back in the day, oh gosh, we should just do something on like the, the weirdest political smear campaigns, right? Because, sure, yeah, these people were, were fighting. And because of old boy, Debs, Noel, our boy Gene just violated the Espionage Act. So he gets sent up the river. But, He's arrested. But, but like in a cool way, <laughs> right? <laughs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker 
retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car. I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonneville's. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Well, cool to us, I think. Yeah, Max, so he, well. he, he, he wasn't exactly. He wasn't. I mean, it is hard to to talk about a topic like this and kind of not let your uh, your stripes show a little bit. I think um, you know we we try to make this show relatively apolitical, but uh, man, a guy like this kind of just gets my gets my blood pumping uh, in a good way. Debs was in fact arrested, like you said, Ben, in Cleveland in 1918 under the terms, as you said again, of the 1917 Espionage Act for a speech. For a speech, I just want to reiterate that. He yeah. didn't like 
he didn't do espionage. He, he wasn't spying. He wasn't like blowing up, you know, checkpoints or, you know, stealing classified documents. He did a speech that people didn't like. Uh, and that's when you start really going micro. You have people in power going micro on these acts. Like, how can we take this guy to the mattresses, you know, or go to the mattresses against this guy? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm messing up my uh, my godfather um, expressions here. It was a speech that he had made protesting the war that he had given uh, on June 16th in Canton, Ohio. He apparently, as the Washington Post put it, invited arrest. Mm. And they were like, you shouldn't have been uh, talking that way. You knew what would happen. Yeah, what about he, freedom of speech? Right. Well, uh, as long as it's some speech, right? They, sure. I, I think the powers that be were more into their freedom to arrest at this point. So, yeah, so he gets, he, yeah, like you said, the Washington Post and other papers of the day are saying this guy is courting incarceration. And a lot of the newspapers who, let's remember, are largely controlled by these same industrial interests, they team up on him and they do some character assassination. They say they heavily imply this guy is a budding dictator, perhaps, or what if he is a traitor to the country? And what if? Oh, what, what if? if? And they would they did something very clever, quite insidious, Machiavellian almost. They say, look, we're all good Americans, dear readers. And what he has said is so traitorous. What he has said is so seditious that we cannot in good conscience print it. And when they said that, the people who were reading had no idea what he was actually saying. He might have been like, you know what we should really be doing? We shouldn't try to protect innocent people in Europe. We should all go out and collectively like kick puppies and poop in the streets. You know we what I make mean? Newborn babies are currency, you know, right. uh, and punt them. You know, over the goalposts, and that's how we pay for bread. And lick everything. Lick Absolutely. All things. You know what? No foot privacy. People should be running up and, and touching strangers' feet. That's ben, like what is wrong? Wow. <laughs> wow. That's a bridge too far, my friend. Even that was too far. I, we need to beep that out. That was just, I mean, I'm, I'm upset. That's upsetting uh, to me. No foot privacy? Ugh. Yeah, I mean, for some people in this day and age, they'd be stoked about that. I mean, foot picks are a currency of our modern day, you know, the same. Yeah, well, shout out to the Tarantinos of the world. But, uh, but our point is, like, we just made up several, I think, hilarious ideas, but things that would be messed up and terrifying if they happened in real life. And that's what ha that is what is occurring when people read these newspaper articles. It's like uh, the old Hitchcock idea that the monster who is out of the frame, off the screen, is more terrifying than anything you could depict. So without knowing what this guy was saying, people were conjuring all sorts of sinister, horrific thoughts in their head, and they were associating them with our boy Gene. In fact, it was really just kind of stuff we'd already heard him say, basically. Right. Maybe just a little more amped up in his rhetoric, correct? Yeah, yeah. He was, I mean, he was getting a little hyperbolic. You know, he was storming some barns for sure when he said stuff like, we are going to destroy all enslaving and degrading capitalist institutions and to recreate them as free and humanizing 
institutions. Uh, and then he said, well, when you say things like destroy institutions, it's it's not too far of a walk to think he means like blow them up physically. Right. But I think he's speaking more figuratively, right? The idea of destroying not institutions like physical buildings, but institutions like concepts, right? Yeah, in a way, he's like a drain the swamp dude in of of his age, right? And the swamp to him is corporate power and uh, the high-level nepotism of the aristocratic class in the U.S. And, you know, despite what people say about a class system in the United States, there's always been an aristocracy here. Uh, so he wants to he wants to pump up class warfare. Well, not class warfare especially, but class rights. And he talks about the working class, you know, the people who were sent to fight, the people who have to actually die on the front lines. He says they don't have a voice in deciding whether or not to go to war. And I am super not loving it. We're paraphrasing. But that's that's where he's going. So he goes to jail. He's not the only one. Thousands of anti-war activists and socialists get jammed up during the First World War. And then, like you mentioned, Noel, the Red Scare. And what we see is strange because... At this point, Uncle Sam is essentially trying to outlaw an ideology. They're trying to outlaw socialism as a, it's like thought crime. Well, so the thing that I was talking about earlier, where it's like we hadn't quite gotten there yet. Now we're really getting there because they're like, oh, shit. They, they sort of slept on it, right? Where mm -hmm. it was like they didn't quite realize how antithetical to the institutions that Uncle Sam relies on, you know, and uh, Uncle Sam always was kind of like a symbol of like equality and like, you know, American stick to and all of that. But what Uncle Sam ultimately became was just kind of this, this um, representation of the powered class, you know, whether yeah. those be politicians or, you know, the moneyed hierarchy of, uh, of industry. A hundred percent. And this is okay. So we're, we're maybe lionizing or uh, deified Debs a little bit, but he's, He's still him. You know what I mean? He's still his ver version of Jenny from the block. Uh, he goes to court. And this is like a dum 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 kind of moment. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there it is. Sexy, sexy, justice and justice. I'm sorry. Okay, I got it. Yeah. Dick Wolf. So this is, uh, this is a moment where he goes to court. And he's got an attorney. And his attorney is getting kind of hyperbolic. His attorney basically uh, compares Eugene Debs to Jesus Christ, and there's okay. no no one. I know that's the entry point. They're breaking the ice. No one gets called to the stand, but Gene, and Gene's testimony is a two-hour speech with like no interruptions, which I cannot imagine that happening in a like that does feel like a fake Law and Order courtroom situation. Two hours. Two hours Man, on the stand. What do you think? This is a little. This is a little unrelated, but it just does kind of point to the power of speaking up in court like that because it becomes part of record, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. people react. You know, the the jury reacts, the the litigators react, the judge reacts. And I saw a thing where remember murder was the case. You know, uh, Tupac. Yeah, he actually went to to court for for murder, and he didn't say a thing throughout the entire case until the very end when he stood up and said something to the effect of this hasn't been justice. He essentially said, this is a kangaroo court. Mm -hmm. But he said, you know, my, my fate is not in your hands. 
my fate is in God's hands. And it was just the most baller kind of like, you know, I know that I'm, you know, righteous here. And again, I don't know even what came of that case. I mean, he obviously didn't go to prison or, or get the death penalty. I think he was acquitted, if I'm not mistaken. But this is that level of like, you know, he, he's going to have his moments and people right. have to pay attention because it's part of public record. You're out of order. This whole court is out of order. This whole country is out of order. Uh, also, what's next? Airplane food. When those get invented, this is going to be nuts. Uh, so, yeah, he says, I believe in free speech. I believe in war as well as peace. And if this espionage law stands, then our constitution is dead. And that's I'm what we were getting at earlier. Yeah. It was used as a workaround to, to, to jam this guy up. It was not oh, yeah. the, the, the letter and spirit of the act. It was a way of like literally shutting down free speech. So what he's saying, whether you agree with him or not, you know, holds true. How can you do espionage? Isn't something you do in public espionage is what something you do in the shadows. So mm -hmm. to call uh, making a speech saying something unpopular to call that espionage is, is absurd. I, I agree with you. Uh, because they're trying to sabotage an idea. A war on an idea is a very difficult war to win. Uh, there's one line that I think, I know this really speaks um, to you, Max. I, I think it speaks to Noel and I as well. And it's something, it, it's something I, I've always remembered since I first learned about this guy from his, uh, from his address. It comes to us via another socialist named Max Eastman. It's this. While there is a lower class, I am in it. While there is a criminal element, I am of it. While there is a soul in prison, I am not free. Again, take him to church. Yeah, man. And it's funny, too, because if you look up images of Eugene Debs, I mean, he's a wiry, slight kind of fellow where he might as well have elbow patches, you know. Uh, he really does look like a, you know, a professor. Um, yeah. So he doesn't have, the, the idea of casting him as like a would-be dictator, which is ironic, that kind of rhetoric, because he's couldn't be more anti-dictator, you know, because I mean, mm -hmm. we have these de facto dictators in the history of our country, uh, in these captains of industry, you know, they are these folks that, that there, there are no checks and balances. Um, and, and we have this illusion of checks and balances kind of in the government, but within industry, there really aren't. Um, we were even in the earliest days of things like regulatory, um, boards and things that are kind of calling, uh, industrial, you know, giants to task in terms of what they're doing to the planet and what they're doing to the working people. So you have this kind of shadow government within industry that, that essentially they are these dictators. So it's hilarious to try to cast this, this slight little professorial dude as like a would-be dictator. Yeah. And then let's also consider that, um, importantly, a lot of, a lot of countries that would go on to practice what you would see as communism or some blend of socialism, a lot of them later failed, right? So it was easy to point to those experiments and say, hey, watch out, be scared, because if you, if you want these things, <laughs> like better labor laws, then the next thing you know, uh, you're essentially going to be forced into serfdom like over in the USSR. So there was there was a lot, there, this is ideological warfare. 
His uh, speech, though it is uh, dope and rousing for many people in the crowd, it doesn't persuade the judge. So the Espionage Act, whether or not you agree that it is morally just, is legal. It is letter it is the law of the land. So he gets sent back up the river for 10 years. Uh, he's taken from Cleveland to a prison out in West Virginia. And then later, they send him down here to Atlanta, to the infamous Atlanta Federal Penitentiary, a very messed up place to live. He's stuck in a shoebox-sized cell with five other dudes. Isn't that the one that's still standing? It it's is. like it's mm-hmm. very like gothic. It's like over mm-hmm. by the good taco place. Yeah, the, yep. the prison taco place. Yeah, yeah everybody yeah, loves yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. That place is 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 a uh, uh, is um what's the word I'm looking for? Striking. Uh, there's about there's got to be a better word. But foreboding. It's just this, yes, foreboding. It's very Gotham City. You know, mm-hmm. it's like it looks like a weird uh, Dracula castle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a good description and. Uh, So he's there, and this is way before the taco place is built, but try it when you come into town, folks. Let us know. We'll meet you up there. He says, don't give me any special treatment. I wasn't just just styling on it when I was talking in court. You know, if there's a criminal element, let me be of it. Let me be part of what you call the lowest. And they say, yeah, right on, man. So you're going to be in this cell for 14 hours a day, Uh, And we'll let you walk out in the prison yard 20 minutes every 24 hours. The nutritional value of what they're feeding prisoners there is very, very bad. So he is gradually growing malnourished and weak. And like you pointed out, Noel, he doesn't have the best constitution to begin with. So he starts to think, holy smokes, the people I've met in this prison, they're not necessarily bad people. They have, in fact, a lot in common with the guys I worked with in my railroad days. He says you it's a cross-section of society. You can see every version of humanity here. And he says, you know what? Also, I kind of like how uh, this prison I'm in is a model of equality because we're all in the same terrible situation. Right. Yeah, it's true. It really does kind of even the playing field. I mean, you know, there are obviously we know there are certain folks in prison that uh, get more privileges because of connections and mm-hmm. skill sets or, you know, mm-hmm. the Andy Dufresnes of the world and all of that. <laughs> right. But in general, you really do have to bootstrap yourself and like, you know, become valuable in a very specific way in prison. Yeah. And of course, this is not to in any way diminish the horrors of incarceration, which are you know, many, right? The risk of physical violence, uh, the dangers of infection and disease. These are very real problems. Back then, as well as today, he becomes this, he has something really interesting. Um, he, He becomes an ultimate champion of equality, right? And this is what he's talking about in his later writings. So this makes him, a martyr. This makes him a folk hero. He's a champion of free speech. He runs for president again. That's right. Don't call it a comeback. 1920, this dude is in jail and he runs for president. He gets nearly a million votes as convict number 9653. We did a slight mention of it in part one and we paid it off. 
and as the New Yorker puts it in this article that we uh, that we referenced um, by uh, Jill Lepore, a vote for Debs at that point was not a vote for the Socialist Party. It was a vote for free speech. Because mm-hmm. again, wh- whether you you know buy into the, the various intricacies of of socialism, which, which there are many, what he was truly fighting for here was having his free speech shut down. Yeah. Yeah. And he probably at this point, given the national support he garnered, he conceivably could ask for a pardon. And it probably would have been granted, right, if he had made some sort of public mea culpa, right, and sort of diffused the bomb of this activist movement. But he said, nah, dog, that's a pass for me. Or that's a no for me, dog. And he grew sicker, he grew weaker, day in, day out. People began holding these free gene rallies. Well, they called them free Deb rallies. But uh, right. yeah, President Woodrow Wilson, again, fam- uh... thank you, famously a dick. Uh, he refused to answer any of these national calls for just amnesty, right? You can say that he's still guilty, but let this guy out of jail before he dies or prison. War, it would take a different administration. Warren Harding's administration releases him on Christmas Day, 1921, but the damage to his frail condition was done. He never recovered. He lived in a sanatorium for the rest of his life in 1925, he said the Socialist Party was pretty much dead in the U.S., and the next year he passed away. But, you know, to this day, I think we have in Bernie Sanders sort of a Eugene Debs analog in that he really, you know, made a splash in the kind of mainstream political stage, and he obviously didn't win, but just by virtue of, like, him being out there kind of spreading these kinds of ideas— I think he made a big impact, and I think Eugene V. Debs would have been proud. And I couldn't—I don't know this for a fact, but I can't imagine that that Sanders isn't a a student of Debs. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, because while this might sound like a story that is ultimately a story of failure, it's not really, because the legacy continued on. You know what I mean? Uh, the It's like the idea of seeing an apple fall to the ground— and thinking, ah, dang, what a waste of an apple. But every apple has seeds, as did uh, the beliefs of Debs. And those seeds took root. God, that's a painful analogy, but I hope I hope we're painting the picture. And they grew into things like new generations of social reformers who spearheaded stuff like the New Deal, which saved the United States in the 1930s. And uh, this becomes part of the great, at times, contradictory historical anatomy of the United States, of the uh, the country in which we live. And at this point, you know, because I I don't want to sound (laughs) sanctimonious or TED talky, at this point, I think we tip our hats to Eugene V. Debs, whether or not you agree with him, you have to respect that he kept it real the whole way through. And we can end on a lighter note, gentlemen, Noel, Max, yes. is it is it time for our spiteful dessert? <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> it is best served cold, as Noel said. <laughs> okay. All right. So um, 
Woodrow Wilson fans, if you are somehow still listening to this episode, uh, we we would like to share with you some excellent research uh, that Max did. Uh, Noel and I did a little on our own as well. We wanted to end this episode with just a quick list of reasons we think Woodrow Wilson just sucks. Just sucks yeah. as a person. <laughs> Not even a president. Oh, my gosh. Max, I think you should lead. I mean, this is your, this is your, uh, your baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woodrow Wilson really sucks. So the article I'm going to be referencing for most of this is a Vox article titled, Woodrow Wilson was extremely racist, even by the standards of his time. It was so, so like, yeah. Compared to, nor- to people around him at the time. Because, you know, that's one of the hard things about going through history of people and be like, it's like, well, they were not as racist as everyone else. But Woodrow Wilson was so racist that everyone around him was like, wow, this guy is so ridiculously racist. So um, one thing he did, I did not know about this. Hmm. But, you know, Reconstruction, uh, all, all that era stuff, there was a lot of this stuff was still in place. And unfortunately, a lot of it would be carved away throughout these uh throughout these decades and one of the main people to do that Woodrow Wilson he resegregated the federal government he fired or at least put in in action the firing of 15 of the 17 black supervisors in all the federal service there's only 17 black supervisors so there's not many, that many of them and by the time he was done 15 of them were gone he was like too far he also yeah he was like um like how Lovecraft was really racist for a large part of his life. Right. Lovecraft was so racist that he made other racists uncomfortable. And that's kind of the Woodrow Wilson vibe. Uh, This is astonishing because uh, he also tried to high road people, right? When, um, when he got confronted by black Americans who saw the threat of his, his weird, his weird, crush on segregation he told them what what did he say max you should do the quote oh no i have to read this one he said and i'm not going to try an accent segregation is not humiliating but a benefit and ought to be so regarded by you gentlemen woof and see guys i actually have another one i have a secret one from this article that i did not list on here it's so bad that i left out the side but supposedly there was this there was this black gentleman whose job was deemed so essential they couldn't fire him. Mm-hmm. But they're like, well, we have to, or they, they couldn't fire him and they couldn't move him into another department. He, he like worked so interconnected with everyone else in the department who was also, who was, by the way, white. They're like, okay, so we have to leave him here, but we still have to segregate him. So they put this man in a cage in a federal office building. <sighs> it is listed in this article. This, 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 Man doing his job working for the federal government was put in a cage while he worked. Insane. Inhuman. Not to mention he was a vocal defender of the Ku Klux Klan. Oh, right. Yeah, that part. Yeah, Woodrow Wilson really loved the Klan. He really loved the Confederacy. He was kind of just like obsessed with this whole lost cause thing where, you know, this idea that like the Confederacy losing the Civil War, there was this noble cause that they were fighting for, blah, 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 all this BS that does not stand up to any scrutiny whatsoever. And he really wanted to install these ideas and everything. Hmm. Yeah. He uh, also, he thought that uh, the Confederacy was a pretty good idea. He said, look, these are bucolic, like uh, philosopher kings of an agrarian society and these northern industrialists just 
don't get it. Uh, he was his most, and you know, Wilson's an academic, uh, but being an academic doesn't necessarily, being intelligent does not necessarily make you a good person. He was no. really into what is called lost cause mythology, which is like the South was right kind of stuff. Yeah. And it occurs to me, uh, <laughs> Eugene V. Debs and you and Woodrow Wilson weirdly resembled one another. <laughs> yeah, they looked alike, kind of. <laughs> it's like a Marvel film where the hero and the it's villain like have similar world, powers. You know? they, they, yeah. Yes, they yeah. could have existed in, like, in metaverse kind of, or not metaverse, God, in uh, alternate kind of universe scenarios. You know, mm-hmm. but, uh, multi Multiverse. Multiverse, Multiverse. thank you. Not metaverse. Yes, good metaverse. metaverse. But man, what a ride. Um, I can't believe we, I can believe that we pulled two episodes out of this. And I think each one uh, has, you know, something very special um, because this guy's early life was its own thing. And then his history. I got to say, too, that one of the things I did to research for this, uh, I found a dude on this history YouTube channel who's like a Eugene V. Debs impersonator. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and sort of like in the office where there was that, that, a, that uh, not Abe Lincoln. Um, uh, Benjamin uh, Franklin. Benjamin Franklin impersonator. Exactly. This guy does these talks in character. And then afterwards he was interviewed, not in character. And he pointed out that he did the version of Debs that was sort of more long in the tooth because he didn't feel like he could possibly ever match the rhetoric, the rhetorical fire that Mm -hmm. kind of more young Eugene Debs brought. A hundred percent. Yeah. And this, and um, this is worth watching by the way, to get a sense of Debs, what Noel's talking about here. Uh, we talked earlier. I love the, uh, <laughs> I, I love the, um, what do you call it? I love the reenactments. I love those towns. I love the historical figures. I'm a sucker for that. But even I would probably skip a Woodrow Wilson reenactment. Uh, and with that, uh, I think we're gonna we're gonna call it a date. This has been a, a crazy week for us, but it's it's thoroughly enjoyable. Um, we cannot wait to get to some of our future episodes. Couple uh couple of spoilers for you ridiculous historians. We're getting into hot tubs figuratively and maybe literally. Uh we're also uh we're also going deep into the story of condiments. I oh I'm so gassed, man. Oh man, and, and literally just by hearing you say that now I think we need to also do an episode on the story of condoms. Because yeah. we know that could in and of itself be an interesting tale. You know, what about condoms filled with condiments? Gross. In a hot tub? Nope. Nope. I'm gonna stop you right there. Wow. I'm gonna stop you right there. It's a family show. <laughs> family show. Huge thanks to super producer Max Williams, stopping him short of, uh, of 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 just totally ruining my mind. Um, Alex Williams, who composed this theme. Dr. Zach Williams, no relation, uh, as well as Jeff Bartlett. Uh, big thanks to our research associate team. Thanks to our long-suffering friend and self-appointed nemesis, Jonathan Strickland, a.k.a. The Quizster. Thanks to Debs. Thanks to our ridiculous historians for tuning in. Noel, thanks to you, man. Hey, and you as well. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.
Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.